I'm not gonna debate you, Jerry. I'm not gonna sit here and debate. Hello, hello and welcome to the Red Glare Podcast. My name is Daniel Fritch. I am your host. Thank you, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it a great deal. Um, This is a free podcast. It is a labor of love. That is why I'm producing this podcast, is because I love the Houston Texans, and I love the Houston Rockets. I love watching them. I love following them. I love thinking about them in my spare time at my desk when I uh, push away from my uh, my computer, you know, my work, my actual job, and I and I can think about something that's more interesting than whatever task I've been given at work. Uh, I I my mind wanders to the Texans and the Rockets. That's what I like to think about in my spare time, among other things. Sure, you know, life, the uh, taxes, insurance, family, relationship, all that stuff. But but I love the teams. And that's why I started this podcast. I'm not making any money off of this podcast. Um, It is not my job. And as such, you can't make me do it. You cannot make me talk about this desiccated corpse of a Houston Texans team any longer. I can't do it. I've tried. I've recorded several podcasts that I thought, or I've started to record them, and then I thought, I can't do this. I hate this team. I don't like them. And so I haven't done it, and I'm not going to do it. So welcome to the Houston Texans season wrap-up episode of the Red Glare Podcast. Season wrap-up. Okay, so there's your season wrap-up theme song. And I know what you're thinking. Season wrap-up? There's six weeks left. Six games left. No, there's not. Not for me. Not for me, there's not. So six games, that's 20 hours. And you live your life the way you want to. You do whatever you want. Do whatever makes you happy. Um, But watching the Texans is not going to make you happy. You know that. Take a moment to, to... just just imagine how you felt watching the first half of that Miami Dolphins game. Um, how about that sequence in the second quarter where uh, the defender knocked the ball out of Kyle Allen's hand and he had to fall on it to make it third and 19? Actually, I don't even think Kyle Allen did fall on it. I think it was an offensive lineman. Um, but that set up a, a like a little bubble screen action to Jordan Aikens, who got absolutely obliterated and blown up and fumbled it on third and 19 near our own goal line, allowing the Dolphins to scoop it up and score. Just just picture how you felt in that moment. And then imagine six more games, 20 hours, 20 hours. So don't do it. Don't do it to yourself. Don't do it. You can do better with that 20 hours. Do anything else, anything else in life. You'll be a happier, healthier person as a result. I'm not going to talk a lot about that Dolphins game because my thoughts were very similar to my thoughts after, say, the Titans game. And if you listen to that episode, you know I was not happy with the team. I felt dirty afterward, not spending that time with my family. Um, And so uh, there's a word I like in sports. is compulsory, right? Is compulsory. 
Jury duty is compulsory. It means you're required to do something, whether you like it or not. When I was a kid, I had to go to church. It was compulsory. But you never saw me, like, hopping and skipping out of my mom's car to get to church. But I had to go. It was compulsory. And so the Texans are playing football right now like it's compulsory. Like, their their moms are making them do it. They don't want to, but they're there. They're going through the motions. Um, I would submit to you that a team playing the way the Texans are cannot win. They cannot win a game. They will not win a game uh, unless there's a dramatic, like unless they're playing another team that's even, you know, even in a worse mental state. And maybe playing Deshaun Watson on Sunday will fire them up uh, a little bit, uh, get them to show up. But I don't, I don't know if that'll happen, and I don't care enough to to venture a guess. But on this episode, I did want to talk about not so much looking back in the past uh, on as to why we got to where we are, but what we could do moving forward, what I would do if I was Cal McNair, Nick Casario. And I also want to address some uh, very popular statements that I'm seeing fans and media members making um, on Twitter and on Reddit and on sport, I hear it on sports radio, some sort of popular points that people like to make to describe the team that I disagree with. And I want to sort of address those one at a time so that if you're one of those people that's on Twitter making this point, you know, I can't, I can't reply to you on Twitter in the length that it would be, that would be required for me to actually express myself. So I'm hoping maybe you'll, if you're one of those people, you hear this episode and at least you hear my rebuttal to your point, uh, for your consideration. Um, I'm not going to talk uh, about on-the-field um, analysis of the Dolphins game, of the Eagles game, of uh, you know any recent games, because who cares? This team is playing as though it's compulsory, and as such, it's not worth the time and effort and investment it would take to really break down a bunch of professional athletes half-assing it. Like, who, who gains from that? Not you, not me. It's, it's not worth it. So we're going to move on to looking ahead and, and uh, like I said, addressing some of those points. So let's get to it. Let's start with the hot seat. Lovey Smith, Nick Casario, etc. Um, I think all of those guys should be fired. Uh, one of the things that's interesting to me is, is early on in the season, I mean, almost everyone saw immediately that Levy Smith brought nothing to the table in terms schematically, emotionally. He's he just he's just a wet noodle, but he uh, commands a certain level of respect, I guess, uh, theoretically. And so Levy Smith was not it. Pep Hamilton not it, clearly. And so then you have to continue going up the chain, but it seemed like a lot of people were not comfortable saying Nick Casario, not it. But as we've been worse and worse, and now as the team is totally checked out, you see a little more of that. Nick Casario needs to be held accountable. And one of the defenses of Casario that I find fascinating, I'm going to get into it here, is when people point out that he hired David Culley, and then he hired Lovey Smith, and... Assuming we fire Lovey Smith, he will be hiring his third head coach in as many seasons. People will say he didn't actually hire David Culley. That was management. That was Cal McNair. And I want to stop right there and just think about that for a second. Imagine 
You're Cal McNair, and you've just given Nick Casario, the darling general manager that you've been pursuing for years because you're just so taken with his vast football intellect and his acumen. You just gave him 30-something million dollars to run your team, and then he's like, all right, I think I'm going to hire a coach. And you're like, no, you damn well won't. You won't have any say in this coach. I'm going to hire the coach I want to, Nick Casario. Screw off. No, that's, that's not what happened. Let's be real. Nick Casario hired David Culley, or at the very least, had the ability to stop that hire if he didn't want David Culley as a head coach. So let's stop defending Nick Casario when it comes to David Culley. Because if Cal McNair hired David Culley over the objections of Nick Casario, or, or Nick Casario came to him with multiple candidates and said, I, w- I, r- I want to run this kind of offense, and this is the guy I want to hire to do it, and Cal McNair's like, no, David Culley. Then, then we're wild. Then this franchise is screwed forever for as long as Cal McNair is alive. We're in trouble because if that's how it played out, this team will never be a a, a reasonable, you know, entertainment product to consume on Sundays. It, it, they just won't ever be. So I have to believe Cal McNair gave Nick Casario the authority to hire a coach, and Nick Casario hired David Cully. Now. One thing that we see a lot on the internet is fans assuming that they know why a team or a person made a decision because they filter it through their own mind, right? Like, if I had hired David Culley to lead the Texans, then what I must have been, what I would have been thinking is X, Y, and Z. And so then we give Nick Casario that same motivation, right? So if the only reason I would have hired David Culley is because um, I knew the team would be bad and we were rebuilding and we just needed a steady, calm, respectable presence with their hand on the till. Or uh, I couldn't hire another coach because no one wanted the job, so I was stuck with David Culley. No respectable coach would come to this garbage fire of a team. And, and that's why I, Nick Casario, had to hire David Culley. If you're one of the no, and by the way, I'm, now I'm going to go, I'm going to digress a little bit. If you're one of the no coach would take this job people, why did Nick Casario take the job? Is Nick Casario not respectable? Why would he take the job? It was a garbage fire job. Trash fire. Burning tire. Burning garbage. Why? Why did Nick Casario take the job? I can think of 30 million reasons why Nick Casario took the Texans job. So... That logic applies to football coaches as well. So when you say no coach would take the Houston Texans head coaching position in 2020, then I want you to stop and think about all the people that coach football for a living in the United States. I don't know how many people that is, 30,000? I don't know. But it's a lot when you think about high school and college and the pros, of course arena leagues, Canadian football leagues, XFL, all the different ways that football is played and and coached in the in the US. And imagine like let's let's just trim it down to college level and above. You're still talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of football coaches. 
a lot of them very, very intelligent people, like super high IQ people, super high football IQ, guys that sleep in their offices and think, eat, sleep, breathe football all day long. And that's all they do. And that's all they've ever done. It's all they care about. And you're talking about an offensive coordinator at Auburn or Florida or Florida State or Oregon, a guy that's making $120,000 a year, and that's how he supports himself and his family. And you're talking about, again, hundreds of these people that know football inside, outside. They live it. They breathe it. Very smart. Very ambitious. They would kill a human being for the opportunity to coach in the NFL. They would murder a human being if, if they knew they could get away with it. <laughs> I, I'm not sure about the murdering a human being. I'm just sort of assuming. But, okay, you have that guy making $120,000 a year as the, as the offensive coordinator in Nebraska or Colorado or wherever. And you call him up and you say, Johnny, offensive coordinator at Nebraska, we know you know football inside and out. We know you to be a high character, high, uh, very charismatic, smart football coach. And we want you to come coach the Houston Texans of the NFL. And we're going to pay you $1.2 million this year to do it. We are talking about a 1,000% raise over your current salary of $120,000 at Colorado or Boise State, or wherever you are. And you're, you're, now, you're the person that's telling me no coach would take this job. You're telling me that that Boise State offensive coordinator would not take a 1,000% raise to jump to the NFL level, an opportunity that may never present itself to this individual ever again in their entire life. An opportunity that likely will not present itself to them in their entire life. And we're saying we're going to guarantee two years of your contract. That's $2.4 million. That's life-changing money for a lot of people in this country. You're saying not a single one of those coaches would take this job. And you're saying David Culley was better, a better candidate than every single one of those human beings in this nation that coach football? That's what you're telling me? That Nick Casario was trapped. He was stuck. He, he could only hire David Culley. And that was that. And so moving on, no head coach will take this job. No head coach will do it. So if you're thinking, well, you can't just hire anybody from a college. Yes, you can. Jim Irsay just hired Jeff Saturday to be his head coach. You can hire whoever you want. You, you are not limited to old guys who have been in the league forever and friends of Sean McVay. That's another thing. The hiring in the NFL is stupid. Don't think for a moment uh, these are the, the, just the most intelligent, wisest people making decisions in NFL front offices. These are um, egocentric, mostly narcissists, um, rich people who are wildly out of touch they don't know that many people. That's why. That's how we got Nick Casario, by the way. People from New England knew him. Therefore, they're like, oh, you know who you need to get, Nick Casario. And that's why we got him, because we he knew people that worked at the Texans. He knew Jack Easterby. 
And it's like, okay, so now we have Nick Casario. Why? Did we do an exhaustive nationwide search of every candidate? We sort of did, right? But then we landed with the guy that Jack Easterby liked and people within the organization had worked with before. So you can hire whoever you want. And the fact that hiring a random college coach wouldn't be respectable, imagine, okay, so we hired David Culley and Lovey Smith, and before that, Romeo Cornell. Super respectable. What did that get us? How respected are we as an organization for our hire of David Culley? And what a what a great man he was, and high character, and all this uh, uh, experience he had, and he'd never been given a chance. Are the Texans lauded for that? Are the Texans thought of highly? Do, does the fact that Lovey Smith is our head coach after he failed at his last college coaching position, the fact that he's a head coach, does that make the first half of the Miami Dolphins game easier to stomach? We hired a respectable head coach. Good PR. Lovey Smith. Everyone knows Lovey Smith's a good man. It's a nice guy. Everyone knows that. Does that make the Texans game, excuse me, the Titans game more fun? Us just getting our asses beat for three hours in humiliating fashion? As a fan, does it make you feel better to know that our head coach, the hire was respectable? It was a respectable hire. Nothing matters less in the world than how respectable your head coach is <laughs> uh, to the national media. The national media do not care about the Houston Texans. If they talk about them at all, it's what a joke we are. You know how you stop that? You stop being a joke on the field. You start winning games. You start fielding an entertaining product. Enough with the old guys that have been around, the soft-spoken guys that everyone likes. We've, we've had enough of that. It's got us nowhere. It's done nothing for us. So don't do that anymore. Get the best guy for the job. Even if the best guy for the job is currently the quarterback's coach at a mid-major college. Because let me tell you something. You could say, oh, you hire a guy like that, the locker room won't respect him. There are always reasons not to do these things. But if you listen to, like, say, the Miami Dolphins head coach, McDaniel, um, Mike McDaniel, he is a nerd. He's awkward. He's a strange cat. He's walking into that locker room of professional NFL players, and once they realized he knew his stuff and that the Dolphins' awesome offense was outstanding, guess who they respected? The awkward nerd. It's not magic, right? Lovey Smith is as respectable a human being on paper as there is. How much respect was shown in the first half of that Dolphins game? Come on now. It's common sense. You can hire whoever you want. And you hired David Culley. And you hired Lovey Smith. You, Nick Casario, should be accountable for that. So Lovey Smith should not be with the Texans in the head coaching capacity moving forward. I would have fired him weeks ago. I never would have hired him in the, or promoted him in the first place, of course. But we've done that. Keep him on if, if you want as a consultant, as a defensive assistant, something like that. If, 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 <laughs> if that serves a purpose, do whatever you want. But he should not be the head coach moving forward, nor should Pep Hamilton be the offensive coordinator, the play caller. You got a clean house. Now, that brings us to Nick Casario specifically. And 
I'm not... The expectations that Cal McNair had for this team and for Nick Casario, we don't know what conversations were had or continue to be had between those those two men. When he hired Nick Casario... Did Nick Casario tell him we're going to be god-awful, dreadful for four years, and then we are going to climb out of the pit that Easterby and Bill O'Brien have built for you here, but I'm going to, I'm going to build you out of this pit. Don't worry about it, but it is going to take four years. Now, if that was the case, if that was the conversation that Nick Casario and Cal McNair had, and Cal McNair hired him with an understanding that the Texans would not be good at football until 2024, 2025, then I don't see how you can fire Nick Casario because he set the expectations. He said, we're not going to be good. So you can't, you can't fire him, right? Because you signed up for that. Now, if that was not the conversation that was had, if you, like me, thought you're Cal McNair in this scenario, the Texans won four games last year. Davis Mills should be a little bit better, um, or, or uh, you know, there, there should there should be some some growth, and we should win five games at a minimum. We should be a five-win team, and you're watching this team struggle, struggle to look like a professional football team in a season of unprecedented parity. I want to I want to mention there are no good teams this year. There's the Kansas City Chiefs who lost to the Colts and the Bills, and everyone else. No one is good at football. The Eagles are pretty good, I guess. We'll see when they get to the playoffs. But this year, the and, and, and stats uh, analytics actually back this up, the margin of victory, the number of one-score games is as high as it's ever been. The margin of victory is very small this year because every team is exactly the same. They're not, no, no teams are good, <laughs> no teams are bad. I mean, some teams are bad, the Broncos, but essentially in a, in a year in which all the teams are just sort of a congealed mess of mediocre, the Texans stand out as even worse, even worse than all of that, that gelatinous goo that is the NFL in 2022. So, I think Nick Casario should continue in his position if the expectation was set that, hey, it's going to take me four years to correct this issue. Now, we say uh, hyperbolically sometimes like, man, this trade set us back five years when we traded Hopkins, for example, or we botched that Jadavian Clowney contract extension, um, or we just let J.J. Watt walk away for nothing, um, or we traded a third-round pick for Duke Johnson, or all those moves when we're saying, well, Bill O'Brien, the general manager, and Jack Easterby, they're setting us back 10 years, and you sort of make that joke, and then you laugh. That might literally be true, right? Every move they made, every contract they signed, was poor. It was a poor decision. It was a poor contract. It was a, The contracts were structured poorly. Everything was bad in terms of you know, judging comparatively against like well-run smart front offices. So they made nothing but bad moves for years. And it seems, I mean, if you're judging by the product on the field, that we were set back years by those two guys. And maybe Nick Casario recognized that and said, hey, it's going to take me a long time to fix that. 
fix this. And maybe that's what we're experiencing right now. So I'm going to move on from Casario because I, I can't strongly urge his firing, but I also do not want to give him a pass on David Cully and Lovey Smith because me, Daniel Fritch, I would have done things differently. I would have hired a college coach immediately when I got here, an offensive-minded wonderkind, and I would then assess his ability to be a head coach in the NFL. Last year, I would have done that. And then if he was bad, you fire him, and you bring in another coach, and you fire him. And you, you, my philosophy for coaches would be similar with, uh, as it is for quarterbacks. You have to have one. You, you cannot make the, the team. It's so important to have a quarterback and a head coach. You cannot be a good team with bad quarterback play and bad head coaching. So I would just keep trying different things until you hit. And unfortunately, we hired David Culley and we hired Lovey Smith knowing that they weren't going to hit because there's a risk of failure. Let's say Nick Casario knew the guy that he wanted to hire. Let's say he already knows who his head coach is going to be. I don't know who that is, but let's say Nick Casario knows who that head coach will be. There is a chance that he hires that guy and that guy sucks, right? That he just can't do the job. He's Nat Hackett over in Denver. Like he has on paper, he has all the things you want in a head coach, but then you give him that job and he just can't do it. So that's a possibility. Like Nick Casario could be too cool for school hiring all these respectable old guys, but then he hires his guy and then that guy sucks. What happens then? So we have to, and that's another thing, factor in the potential for failure at every level, right? Like this year we were banking on Brandon Cooks being a very an above average NFL receiver, and he wasn't. Going into next year, you probably, if we bring Laramie Tunsil back, you're banking on him being an above average left tackle. Maybe he won't be. Have a contingency plan in place. If we draft Bryce Young, number one overall, have an have a plan in place for Bryce Young struggling mightily out of the gate. Bryce Young getting injured because he's a tiny little man. Like, have a plan. Have a backup. Have a second rookie backup. Like, hey, we lost Bryce Young, but we're going to give rookie this guy a chance. And maybe he's the guy. Take a rookie in the fourth round. Take two quarterbacks in the same draft. That's crazy. It's unprecedented thinking. You wouldn't do it. It's wasting a draft pick. But I'm telling you, if you do not figure out the quarterback position, it doesn't matter how good your third round tight end is because you will never get back to relevance if you cannot figure out head coach and you cannot figure out quarterback. Those would be my two laser focus points of emphasis moving forward for this team. So, it occurs to me we drafted, we had the number three pick in the, in, the, in the draft this past year. Of course, we took Derek Stingley Jr., of course, and he is a good NFL cornerback. He's only going to get better if he can stay healthy, but his skill set seems to be playing man-to-man coverage. Our head coach, Lovey Smith, runs a, um, a zone, a cover two scheme, right? So 
that would be another thing I would I would say if I'm Cal McNair, if I'm the owner of the team. I walk into a room with Casario and our head of scouting and our front office, whoever, whoever's running the team, the half a dozen dudes that run the Houston Texans, and I would say, what is our identity? When you're drafting players, are you drafting players for the future coach that we're going to hire two years from now? Are you just drafting players willy-nilly, regardless of the schemes that they played in in, high, or in college, and you're just sort of going best available and projecting them as NFL players? Because let's not do that. Let's have an identity as a team, as a franchise. And just stepping back for a moment, as a fan, isn't it fun when a team, a professional team, has an identity? Like the Ravens with uh, Ray Lewis and Ed Reed? That Ravens team, we knew who they were, and it didn't even matter who their quarterback was. They had an identity. Steve Nash's Phoenix Suns, Tim Duncan's Spurs, I mean, Hakeem Olajuwon's Rockets. I mean, the, the teams that have an identity. Now, that's led by personnel, of course, right? Hakeem Olajuwon allows you that to have that identity. But coaches can have identities. Sean Payton's team had an identity. Even when Drew Brees wasn't there, it was still Sean Payton's Saints. Um, Bill Belichick has an identity. I would say, all right, what is the Texans' identity? What are we trying to do here as a football team? Are we trying to just, just exist? Are we trying to be the team with the best secondary? Is that why we drafted Derek Stingley Jr.? What are we doing? What are we hoping to accomplish? What are we trying to do? Do you not know what kind of quarterback you're going to draft? Like maybe it'll be a Kyler Murray-style scrambling quarterback, or maybe it'll be a Mac Jones-style sort of pocket quarterback. Like, do you have an idea of what you're trying to do? Or are you just sort of saying, oh, best available, um, uh, scrambling quarterback's available, so I guess we're a scrambling quarterback team now. Is that is that what we're doing? As a franchise, we're just sort of waiting, waiting to see what talent we can find, and then we're adjusting accordingly? Because I would go about it the other way. I would say, I want to be the Houston Texans. I want the league to know that the Houston Texans are a power-running team like the Tennessee Titans, or they are a get-after-the-quarterback, pass-rush when you play the Texans, protect your quarterback at all costs because we are getting after him. If we do nothing else, we are going to smash the quarterback to bits. Or do we have a spread offense? We have five wide receivers out there, and we are running and running and running and, and uh, over the middle and uh, no, no, uh, no huddle offense. That's our identity. That's what we're doing. Then I think once you decide, okay, we want to run the Sean Payton offense, we want different formations, different personnel packages, different routes. Uh, every every play is different. We're running in two two running backs, and then we're running in three tight ends, and then we're going five wide. Well, okay. Decide as an organization. That's our identity. That's what our fans can hang their hats on. We are the spread offense team. We are the zero blitz team. We're the 46 defense team. Whatever you want to be, be that. Let us know as fans, this is who we are. This is what we're aspiring to be. We have Damian Pierce. We have Nico Collins. We have no identity at all, whatsoever. 
other than national joke. And we fired Jack Easterby this year. That is a positive move to help our national joke identity that we have forged. But why not author some of that yourself? Why not say, we are going to be a power running team? That is going to be our identity moving forward. Then you know the kind of players you're targeting. You know the kind of coaching staff you want to hire. If you want to run Sean Payton's offense, make a list of the 15 best dudes or women who could run that offense in the NFL. The list would start, I assume, with Sean Payton. And then work your way down the list. People, there are smart people, and uh, just to go back to my coaching um, uh, point from a moment ago, there are smart people at, at smaller colleges all across this country. I was listening to Warren Sharp earlier today. He, he works for sharpfootball.com. He's a writer. He writes a lot about gambling. And he's, he's super into analytics and, and sort of trying to use numbers and trends to uh, inform his betting. Um, and one of the things he uses is referee analytics. And so they factor that in at sharpfootball.com. When they're factoring in who they're going to bet on, they know that this referee that's going to ref this game on Sunday, he, he calls 68% of his flags on the offense. And that's wildly out of line with other referees. So you know that the offenses are going to struggle relative to, you know, when they're playing with other referee, uh, other ref groups. Now that, I don't know how much Warren Sharp makes, um, but I know that Cal McNair could afford to pay him double that to come be a Texans employee and to tell us, who runs the best college spread offense? Who is doing it? Go to the numbers. Go to the tape. We will hire as many people as you need to ascertain who is running the best system in the country. That's who we want to hire. Then we know, okay, this is the kind of receiver that you need in that system. That receiver is going to move higher on our draft board. That's the kind of player we're going to target in free agency. Have a plan in place because David Culley is not a plan. Lovey Smith is not a plan. Derek Stingley Jr. to pair with Lovey Smith is not a plan. Have an identity. Know what you're going to do. Then go do it. You have the ability to do that because NFL owners are in the unique position in American society to have a resource, their team, that is almost limitless in its ability to make money. Like Cal McNair, if he wanted to sell the team right now, he could, or a portion of the team. Cal McNair will never have to have a real job. No, no relative of Cal McNair's will ever have to work in an actual job. So he should be spending money hand over fist to make this product the best that it can be. And if he doesn't have the appetite to do that, if he's not interested in that, sell the team. Give it to somebody else. Somebody else that will do those things. That's what, that's what I'd say to Cal McNair. Sell the team. Or stock it with Warren Sharps and people like Warren Sharp. Get them on staff. Get them in the room. Get them talking to Nick Casario. Not making decisions necessarily, but just informing decisions. Letting whoever made the David Cully hire, letting them know this is a stupid hire. This is not going to work. Whatever you're trying to accomplish with David Culley, you're not going to accomplish it. Let's not do it. 
Let's hire this genius that's running this offensive scheme in Minnesota. Let's hire him as our offensive coordinator. Let's give him a chance. And if he doesn't work out, we'll hire somebody else next year. Let's let's try some different things. Do some different things. Change for the sake of change. If your brand is so bad that people, if I say I'm a Texans fan, guys at work are like, oh, God, gross. Change. Change. Change that identity. I liked the battle red helmets, jersey combination this season. That looked good. Change the jerseys. Make them modern. I know the NFL has rules around jerseys and colors and all that stuff. Use the Columbia blue. Wasn't it Columbia blue that the Texans or that the Oilers had? Scarlet and uh, the Love You Blue. Make an alternate jersey for the Texans that apes the Titans' colors. I know the NFL would not necessarily let you do that. Do it anyway. Pay the fine. Buy the jerseys. Send the team out there in Love You Blue blue and red. Do it. Do it with a, a, a Columbia blue version of the Texans logo. And then the NFL will fine you and you will defiantly pay that fine and show the city of Houston, I know how much those colors mean to you. I'm going to run, I'm going to run, I'm going to give you a chance to root for them, to cheer for them again. And I don't even care what the NFL says. Can you imagine Cal McNair doing something like that? Do things like that. Get the, get the fan base fired up. Give us something to root for. Tell us who the Texans are. Who do you want them to be? What are your expectations, Cal McNair? What are your expectations, Nick Casario? Are you as angry when we lose as we are, the fans? Because it doesn't feel that way. It certainly didn't feel that way listening to Lovey Smith in the post-game press conference after the Dolphins game. If I was the owner of the team, if I was Cal McNair, I would have watched the first half of that Dolphins game, and I would have said, well, this is unacceptable, right, on every level. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. Uh, Lovey Smith's got a lot to answer for. And I would have been, you know, pretty, pretty confident that Lovey Smith would not be my head coach for much longer. But then I would have watched that post-game press conference where Lovey Smith insisted on talking about the second half of that game and the stuff we did against the backup quarterback who was only in the game because we had been so thoroughly humiliated already. And if I was Cal McNair in that post-game press conference, I would have been sitting there thinking, Levy Smith is definitely not my coach. And I will play a tape of this press conference to everyone in the organization and anyone that thinks this is an acceptable way to conduct themselves after a humiliating loss they will not have a, a role on this team moving forward because I want everyone in this organization to know what happened against the Dolphins is not acceptable. It's not acceptable on any level. And we won't make excuses and we won't be condescending to reporters and post-game press conferences. I want everyone on this team, in this organization, to be angry if we perform the way we performed on Sunday. Do not be the way Lovey Smith was in that press conference. That's what I want to see from ownership, from management. Let me know that you're as angry as I am. You own the team. It's your product. I don't own the team. I do a podcast. I'm not paid to do this podcast. I do it for free. Why am I more disgusted 
at the Titans game, at the Dolphins game, then Lovey Smith is. Then you are Nick Casario. Then you are Cal McNair. Why? It doesn't make sense. It makes it silly for me to support the team if I'm the one that cares about wins and losses and you don't. So fix that. Fix that moving forward. And um, I think that's going to bring us to the end of our uh, Texans season wrap-up episode. Let's roll that theme music again. Season wrap-up. All right, so thank you so much for tuning in. And if you've listened to me talk about the Texans this season and you've enjoyed it, I'm glad. That makes me happy. I'm, I'm hope that's why I've been doing this show. It's for I hope it's 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 made your commute better. Your whatever, whenever you're listening to this, I hope I hope it's been some bonus, some aid to you. Um, I will return to Texans talk on this show, assuming the show continues. But once the Texans are interesting again, hopefully that's this offseason, sooner rather than later. Uh, I will transition more into a Rockets-centric show, but I'm going to take a little break here as we get around the holidays. Um, I'm going to do some some traveling, some uh, psycho, psychedelic drugs. No, I'm not going to do that. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to get my mind right, and then we will talk more about the Rockets and the Texans, and maybe some Astros. They just signed a Brayu first baseman. We love our aging first baseman. That's uh, one thing we love here in Houston. Um, I really have enjoyed talking about the Texans this year, and my hope was that we would be a better team. I thought we would be better. I thought we would be sort of climbing out of the hole, and we weren't. We were worse, much worse than I thought we would be, and uh, that's not as much fun. But I'm hoping, moving forward, Texans are better. I hope, uh, if you've made it this far in the episode, that uh, everything is going well for you. I appreciate you spending all this time with me. And, uh, yeah, reach out if you feel like it. I'm on the internet, of course, on Twitter, Red Glare Pod. I'm on the internet uh, web browsers at um, redglarepod.com. Very easy to find on the internet. But anyway, I hope you and your family have a healthy and happy holiday season and a good, no, scratch that, great new year. And once again, I've really enjoyed doing this show and talking Texans. And uh, take care of yourselves. We'll talk soon. Okay, this is not Tom. This is Bowling. There are-